So today I'm here with Professor Jacqueline Cock from the University of Witwatersrand. If I'm pronouncing that wrong, please correct me. Um, and today we're going to be talking about your essay, The Climate Crisis and a Just Transition in South Africa from an eco-feminist socialist perspective. So one thing I found really interesting that you talked about was the importance of using a social reproduction lens. And I was wondering if you could elaborate on the difference between understanding capitalism through the hidden abode of production versus the hidden abode of social reproduction. It's, it's, it's might be easier for me to refer you to readings on this because there's a lot of literature. In the first case, it's not, it's not a different mode um, of production, social reproduction, mm -hmm. but it's drawing attention to the fact of how much the reproduction of capitalism depends on labor that is not recognized as work and that operates outside market relations and that that is the reproduction of the next generation and the maintenance of the current generation of workers. And that's what we mean by social reproduction. And it's central to a lot of feminist thinking and um, a lot of people have written about social reproduction. Um, for you should Google um, Kate, well, um, Meg Luxton, M L U X T O N. She's written a lot about this, and also uh, Benson. They've written some a few things together. But it's Marx's view is that, you know, the reproduction of the worker is a critical part of the reproduction of capitalist social relations. And from, fem from a feminist point, point of view, this is uh, in a way the crucible of inequality because it's where women are socialized into um, roles that are inferiorized, that are not or not even recognized and that often limits their um, aspirations. So essentially the question, I think, at the, to sort of try and contextualize this, at what I think interests is what interests you, is different kinds of feminism. And in a sense, in really the, the central difference and the characteristic of Marxist feminism or e and, and socialist and eco-socialist feminism is how one thinks about change. And the criticism of liberal feminism is that it is simply seeking equality within the existing order and is not promoting an alternative order that where there is more justice and equality in terms of access to power and resources. So there's a strong dismissal and rejection of liberal feminism. But what a lot of the socialist feminists, and there's a big literature on this, and I think there's some readings in the, in the chapter which, which you've read, which um, on the climate crisis, which you know you should look at because they might be useful because that is that is trying to show how well the both current crises of climate change and the um, COVID pandemic 
uh, the pe the people bearing the brunt of that are black working class women so so there's i think one's also got to have a sort of intersectional approach to this because one's got to see how race class and gender interact but my criticism of intersectionality is that it is it sees all these different forms of oppression as equivalent equivalent in their impact and their origins and as a marxist um i, I would put a priority on class because it's one's class position um, that determines one's access to, largely determines and shapes one's access to opportunity and resources. But it's important to recognize how it interacts with both racism and sexism. So the crucial question really that you need to ask yourself is, is the existing order satisfactory? Um, if not, and one wants to change it, what does one want to change and why and how? And then that leads you into the debate about socialist feminism, saying that's what we need for everyone to have equality. All and all, it should be uh, to abolish all forms of prejudice and discrimination. Um, into, into the, you see, the current moment is a very individualized moment. Um, and so liberal feminism is in a way on the ascendancy because that's to do with women um, getting into power, political power and, and economic power um, and to somehow combine that with their role, their domestic role, which is often in liberal feminism not questioned. In the South African context, it's very, very clear how many, well, a lot of under apartheid, it was a general phenomenon that white households employed a black domestic worker and did so under very oppressive conditions. And so often there, any success they had in inverted commas, in terms of achieving power in the economic or political spheres was at the cost of a black woman domestic worker who worked for long hours for extremely long pay and often had to neglect her own children in the process of looking after her employers. So that's a good example of how I think one can't think about women in a, in a, as a sing, as a uniform, um, undifferentiated category, but we need to be sensitive to how women actually exploit each other and how they themselves can often perpetuate sexism, it, especially in child raising practices which reinforce, you know, um, unequal gender identities. But the key, I think, to understanding liberal feminism is that it's not organized around general change. It's change of a narrow kind. And also it is promoting um, individual advancement rather than collective empowerment. And that's what socialist feminism is about. It's about working collectively and working to benefit all women and particularly the poor and the oppressed women who are often in the South African context, particularly the men, probably in this case as well, black women. So the concept of social reproduction, you know, it's, it's, it's defined in different ways and there are different ways of thinking about it. And I think that you should look at the literature. But in terms of your thinking, your thinking should be around change and what needs to change. And that is why there is an argument for 
collectivizing a lot of the social reproductive work um, and having in a situation like that in South Africa at the moment, a situation of crisis. Um, people's restaurants, in other words, collectivizing work like cooking so that it is shared and people have access to nutrition even if they're poor, rather than looking at the position of individual households. So why is the labor movement so central in both environmental justice for um, broadly and also within the communities of black working class women? Black working class women bear the brunt. I mean, the people who bear the brunt of the climate crisis are people living, well, there are two categories of people. And the one is mainly men, and that's the coal workers. And the other category is uh, people living near coal mines or coal-fired power stations. And there it is mainly women who bear the brunt of the crisis because they have to um, cope with all the um, ecological impacts of mining, for example, which means water pollution, air pollution, um, soil that has been degraded and is toxic, all of which means extra work for women, because women have the responsibility in traditional African society of you know, putting food on the table and doing so in terms of climate change and the damage that the carbon in situations of high carbon emissions from coal mining, you have air pollution, meaning many, many people are sick with you know, sometimes quite serious illnesses. And as women who care for the sick, it's, it's seen as part of women's, in, in an important part of women's role. And it's women's responsibility to put food on the table. And in a situation where the, the land is toxic, um, it means women having to stretch very meager pensions and remittances from migrant workers, for example, further in order to purchase food. And it means walking much further to obtain clean water because much of the water is polluted because of coal mines. So it's in this sense that women are the shock absorbers of the climate crisis. And the same would apply to the COVID pandemic in the sense that it's women's domestic role to care for the sick. It's the caring work that is at the heart of social reproduction. And that is why it's a feminist issue because of the power differences, um, especially in relation to the reproductive work that women do in the household. And would you say, in, since you wrote this, that South Africa has had any success in reclaiming you know, environmentalism, feminism, and socialism? Yes, I do, but, and I think in the wrong way. Um, I mean, I think now there isn't the same stigma attached to feminism. And there are a lot of strong black women emerging who call themselves feminist, which is a new phenomenon, and who are practicing solidarity with other women and who are challenging uh, sexist practices. But what worries me about that, that kind of feminism is that it doesn't place enough emphasis on the material conditions of poor women. There's a neglect of the woman I was talking about living next to coal mines or um, coal-powered fire stations. So they're not, it's, it's, part of, it's part of identity politics 
that sort of reason, that that kind of black feminism, or what can be, it's not true of, of all black women, obviously, but um, it's it can become a just simply a matter of of power for middle class women, um, rather than something that's rooted in the needs and the lived experience of desperately poor women um, who's struggling to survive. And that comes back to the issue before of thinking in individualist terms of success in inverted commas versus collective empowerment. So there is there is some redefinition of feminism going on, but environmentalism there's still a problem. And to come to your larger question about why we need a just transition, is I believe that the labor movement is in the best capacity has the best potential to drive that a deep and transformative just transition. But the difficulty, one of the difficulties, is that the notion has been stripped of its a transformative potential and often it's reduced to simply a shift to a new energy regime but it's um the labor movement is going to be the most directly is being not going to be is being most directly affected by the closure of the coal mines which are the source of the carbon emissions um, and that means massive massive change because south africa uh, gets 95% of its energy from coal. So that's, that change has to happen. But the trouble is that, it, you know, there's a wonderful slogan that came out of the States called No Jobs on a Dead Planet. And that is the recognition which the labor movement hasn't grasped. They still prioritize jobs and are not sufficiently... Um, informed, I think, of the consequences of the climate crisis because the coal mines have to close and the coal-fired power stations have to close and are beginning to close. And those workers cannot be absorbed. They cannot all be absorbed in renewable energy or the rehabilitation of mining, which are the two solutions that are usually put forward. So... <laughs> There's there's a neglect there, and and I think it's 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 a tragedy because the obvious um, alliance that needs to happen is between, if you like, between the red and the green, between the labour movement and the environmental justice movement, and the environmental justice movement. The differences and tensions between the two. The environmental justice movement, for example, some will know not the injustice movement so much as the mainstream environmental movement, wants to see the closure of coal mines and its replacement by renewable energy, even if that is privatized renewable energy. And the labor movement is strongly opposed to privatization because they say it's going to lead <laughs> to job losses and increased energy prices, which will most impacts heavily on the poor. So the differences, so environmentalism is and labor are not in the kind of alliance which we need for a just transition. In fact, it's an unjust transition that's happening in which people are losing their jobs and partly because of the um, lack of 
grasp of the connection between their experience of the climate crisis, which is immediate because it's in terms of drought and um, polluted air and water and more extreme weather events generally. They don't see the connection between that and their actual livelihoods. There's a dependence on coal, and that has sort of frozen people's imaginaries of any alternative. So there's not the organization and the cooperation happening between labor and environmentalists as there should be. So calling them contaminated, um, I think I'd now say um, it's more that environmentalism is, is still seen as a white middle class concern about animals and plants and wilderness areas rather than about living conditions and being part of nature. Mm -hmm. And so in the future, including both in terms of the feminism and the environment, uh, environmental movement in South Africa, how should um, Marxist feminists and socialist feminists and people who view environmentalists through a socialist perspective, how should they go about um, transitioning into focusing on class more? And I know you mentioned in your essay solidarity between organizations would that be appropriate in addressing the current issue of of the feminism and both environmentalism becoming too individual individualistic yeah yeah well you, you know it's 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 very it's very complicated a feminism among among the poor black women living in in mining affected areas. They don't call themselves feminists, but what I try to argue, and I'll send you the paper, um, because it's, um, it's going to be, uh, it's a chapter in a book. What I've argued is that these women are social, are eco-feminists in their practice, but they don't claim the label, and they don't describe themselves as such. Um, so it would be wrong and arrogant for me to call them eco-socialists. But what I try to argue is that the way they live um, in terms of trying to protect natural resources and the majority of environmental justice activists in all of these communities are women and they offer, they suffer a great deal of threats and intimidation and several powerful women leaders have actually been assassinated for their opposition to coal mining. So it's, it's a very complicated picture, but I think, I think that's one of the big challenges at present, is to, is to introduce, to give more of a class perspective to the new emerging black feminism, which is, I think, a very important development because it's dispelling the myth that feminist is a white, feminism is a white middle class issue. So the, it's it's being claimed as by you know as something <coughs> that is um, relevant to women who want to be strong and powerful, but but there's that that lack of a class perspective. But then um, that's what postmodernism has done. It sort of and the university, the academy has done. They sort of push Marxism off the agenda as something dated and old-fashioned instead of seeing how the focus on who controls productive resources is, is a very important aspect of any 
any set of social relations, any society. So, I mean, I'm still hopeful, but, but because I think, um, as I said, the majority of environmental justice activists are women. <laughs> so the hope is that these connections can, can happen. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was at a seminar yesterday where I actually, well, I got a bit angry and I accused the Labour spokesman, who's a very powerful figure in the Labour movement. He's their parliamentary representative. And I said he was ecologically blind. And he corrected me. He said, no, could rather just say ecologically ignorant. But the point is that Labour, because of the unemployment crisis, which was exacerbated by the lockdown to the COVID pandemic, they are prioritizing employment um, and neglecting how, well, no jobs on a dead planet is, I think, a wonderful slogan because it sums up the need for seeing the connections between the unemployment crisis and the, um, the COVID and climate crises because the shocks of both and then the shocks of both are carried by black rural women, which is what the hope is that that will bring the three together. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. That was really informative. And I'm definitely going to read more of that entire book. Uh, thank you so much.